you know, failure can be something to add to your CV in a particular business because you have been bitten, you understand the pitfalls. And, you know, ultimately, you probably learn more from, from failure than success. So I think that all ties into getting a business off the ground, getting the fundamentals right, your cash flow, your accounting, your marketing, everything. So, yeah, it all feeds in. You know, we're a very small team, but if, if anyone was to seek a role with us and, and they had that kind of experience whereby they had that setback, you know, I, I think it would differentiate them for me. It's all a steep learning curve. Every day is a learning day. Um, no doubt we have setbacks um, ahead of us as well, but we just have to deal with those as best we can and, and keep growing as best we can. Hello and welcome to the Digital Irish Podcast, a podcast all about Irish innovators and entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Dave Byrne. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode where I am joined by Stuart Dempsey, the founder and CEO of GamerFest. GamerFest is Ireland's largest gaming and esports festival. Gaming has come along so far in the last few years, and that was expedited during the pandemic, where there's a much broader audience involved in it. I think the perception of gaming as well has really evolved from something where it was seen as a fad or, you know, basement dwellers, I think is the way that Stuart describes it as, to this perception that it is omnipresent now in society and it's a great way for people to connect. So it's a very interesting topic, very timely topic as well. And that's why we were delighted to have Stuart join us. And to give you some background to Stuart, he has had a 20 year career in marketing. He's worked in a variety of sectors before establishing his um, live events company, GamerFest in, in 2017. Um, since then, the company has gone from strength to strength. It has delivered its most recent GamerFest in Dublin, working with a range of multinational brands and partners. And that event welcomed over 5,000 visitors, which is just a huge amount uh, to come to a gaming event. So uh, amazing growth in such a short period of time. We also discuss the uh, opportunities that he saw during the pandemic and how he was able to make some really interesting pivots uh, and was able to continue growing his business, but also uh, continue investing into the area of gaming and esports. So really hope you enjoy this episode. I'm just going to drop you right in it. Stuart, thank you so much for taking out the time today to talk to us. Pleasure, Dave. Absolute pleasure. So for those who don't know about esports, but maybe more familiar with things like football or rugby or tennis, how would you describe this space to those folks? I think the best way to describe it is that esports is competitive gaming. So if you're passionate about a particular video game, whether that's, you know, FIFA or whether it's NFL Madden or whether it's a shooter game and you like participating in competitions against friends or even in organized competitions for prizes, you're effectively engaging in, in esports. So, you know, you can be at a very low level for, with a community event where the pricing is quite low and it's all quite casual and fun. Or you can be, you know, right up to the, the very highest professional levels uh, where you're playing in global competitions uh, where the prize money and the stakes are incredibly high. Um, so I think that's how I would describe it. It's competitive gaming. If you're passionate about a game and you want to compete in, in competitions, you're engaged in esports. 
And what was it about esports that kind of attracted you initially? Like, how did you come across it? And how did you know that this was something that you wanted to pursue and, and uh, work within? I think primarily the space I got into was gaming. And from there, obviously, esports within gaming um, has grown exponentially um, over the last five years um, since I got into this space. So really, esports probably came on my radar um, via our gaming businesses. Um, and since then, obviously, it's, it's taken off to such an extent um, that it's it's been impossible to ignore. And we've, we've integrated the uh, esports um, seen into our live events, into our other businesses. Um, so I think that's how it came about. It, it came about via our, our interest in gaming, first and foremost. Were you much of a gamer yourself? Uh, or did you like do a bit of a crash course once you kind of like discovered all of this? Yeah, well, you know, I was a gamer in uh, university in particular. Um, played a lot of FIFA with friends, um, you know, socially. So, you know, that's 20 years ago now. But, you know, you would play FIFA with a few beers with friends. Um, I liked racing simulator games at the time as well, but really after that, between career and family and kids, um, you know, gaming as a priority kind of fell away for me. Um, so, you know, when I got back into gaming or when I got into gaming in 2017, which I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about in a minute, um, it was a crash course. You know, I really had to re-educate myself on, you know, what games were popular, um, you know, what interested the community. Um, so it was definitely a crash course, but uh, I picked it up again. Uh, pretty quickly because it was an area I had an interest in. It's just obviously, you know, other uh, other priorities in life took over. You mentioned like playing FIFA in college and that kind of, that seems to be the thing that people really talk about when they talk about gaming these days, where it's like, it's the social element of things. It's like, hey, like being able to connect with others, game with others. And it's, it's not just about the game itself. It's also the banter that's involved in it, you know? And I, uh, I, it's interesting to kind of hear that when, you know, my first gaming device was like a Game Boy where it was like you by yourself. And now it seems to be much, much more social than it it, it was in the beginning, you know? Yeah, well, I mean, it's even moved on an, an incredible amount since I was in college because, you know, back then there was there wasn't really online gaming. And so if, if you were gaming socially, it was on a couch with your friends beside you. Um, but since then, obviously, you know, gaming has, has just absolutely grown exponentially online. Um, there's absolutely massive communities, international communities now playing the same games. And, you know, it's, it's really become a pillar of pop culture. It's no different than music. It's no different than fashion. Um, you know, young people now, they, they socialize, they stay in touch via gaming. Um, it's an incredible social tool. And I think as well, you know, off the back of the pandemic in particular, you know, parents, um, and all stakeholders saw that gaming was a really important way for young people to stay in touch with their friends, to continue to socialize. And I think that has really um, been a turning point for, for gaming in general and people's perception of it, the value of it um, for young people. And it's, it's continued to grow uh, really, really strongly since the pandemic as well. So it's, it's really multifaceted. You know, you can be playing a game on your own at home. You can be getting a lot of enjoyment out of it. Or you can be playing these big multiplayer games with multiple players from around the world. It really depends, you know, what your what your focus is. So um, without a doubt, it's it's really becoming a part of um, a part of culture for young people, particularly in, in second level education through university, young executives going into to full time employment. Um, you know, gaming more and more is a, a really important part of their life. And I think traditionally you might have been asked the question, you know, 
why do you play games? But I think in the future, the question is going to be, why don't you play games? You know, that's that's the kind of trajectory that it's on. I, I did actually read somewhere as well that when you take into consideration mobile gaming as in like mobile apps, like the actual percentage of people gaming is is higher than the number of people engaging in in other areas like going to the cinema or going to live music and you know those are staples of pop culture and and gaming has quietly surpassed them in the number of people engaging with it it's it's really fascinating to see that growth it is it is and i think you're right it is it has quietly overtaken them to a large extent because you know anytime you talk to anyone in business about the scale of gaming and the behemoth that it's become, you know, they're always taken aback. And, you know, there's there's some well-quoted statistics out there. You know, the gaming industry now is worth more than the movie and the music industries combined. Um, so massive growth there. If you look at traditional tech companies like Microsoft, for example, at the start of this year, I think they paid over $70 billion uh, for the game publisher Activision Blizzard. So traditional tech companies are now seeing the value of gaming content. They know they need to be in that space. And to put that in perspective, I think, you know, Microsoft's biggest acquisition prior to that was LinkedIn for $20 billion. So you can see the funds now that big tech and VCs and investors um, are putting into gaming because they realize that the, the younger audience, you know, millennials, Gen Z, if you want to reach them, you have to go where they are and they are gaming. So, you know, more and more, um, you know, people generally are realizing just the, the scale of the gaming industry and, you know, the incredible trajectory it continues to be on. It, it shows no sign of, of easing or flatlining. And uh, I think it's going to continue for many years to come. You know, as you're talking there, you're mentioning, you know, huge companies like Microsoft going into this area and what a shift going from LinkedIn into gaming. It's a, it's a interesting uh it's an interesting juxtaposition there. But, you know, for you, though, I mean, obviously, there was big companies that are in this space. Um, but you kind of took on this like entrepreneurial spirit and like you decided to pursue your own business. Aside from aside from obviously the the gaming and the potential elements, I, I'd love to hear like what were the things that influenced you to kind of go after uh, this entrepreneurial spirit? Like what do you think fostered that for you yourself? Uh, and I think going back even to my earliest years in, in secondary school and university, I had a pretty clear path mapped out in terms of career. Um, I was looking to join the uh, the family business. My father had a very successful uh, concrete manufacturing company here in Galway. Um, so I was pretty set on, on joining that business. So after I did a BCom and, and marketing postgrad um, in, in 2005, I joined that business um, as marketing executive. Um, a couple of years later, became marketing manager, and then we obviously had the the challenges of the the recession and the downturn and everything that came with it. But I think ultimately, the desire I had to to set up my own business probably stemmed from that experience. Probably stemmed from my father. Um, I learned a lot during that time, and I felt I had the tools that would give me a chance of creating a successful business. Um, so I think that was really the driving factor to to see him in action. Um, to see how he managed the business. He was incredibly well respected. Um, he had a great balance between, you know, empathy, but being very assertive when he had to be. Um, so I learned a lot there. And I, I think a lot of it flowed from that. Um, and certainly the experience I, I generated in those years um, in the family business, you know, some of it a really positive experience, other parts really difficult experiences, but they've all lended themselves to, um, to, to creating a business and, and to having the tools and to deal with adversity and setbacks because 
you know, in my experience, there's, there's very few businesses or startups that have this, you know, linear trajectory of, of success. You know, you're going to get setbacks, you're going to get a punch in the nose and you just have to deal with that. So I think a lot of it did flow from my father from seeing that um, experience firsthand. So, um, yeah, he definitely played a role in, in my career and ultimately um, setting up this business. That's incredible to hear. It's almost like you had a kind of almost like a, a, a mentor right there in front of you, which is uh, amazing. Um, it also sounds like that, you know, it almost kind of set your expectations of like knowing how much work and dedication and passion you need to put into it while also kind of understanding that not every day is going to be amazing. Like there's going to be tough days, but there's going to be great days off the back of those, you know? Yeah, I think I certainly had a realistic expectations and you know just touching on the family business there you know with with the recession hitting we had a very very difficult time you know operating within the construction sector you know things were going really well it was a well-established business i was loving every minute of it and then with the recession overnight you know revenues fall by 75 percent our bad debt absolutely skyrocketed uh, a lot of painful restructuring and redundancies um, you know, with people that were in the company with us for maybe 20, 30 years, letting them go, it was, it was really, really painful times. Um, you know, my father's health deteriorated during that time as well. So a lot of it fell to me at a young age to try and deal with those problems and, and issues. Um, and then ultimately we had we had problems with our, our planning permission on our, our main quarry that was uh, key to our manufacturing. So ultimately in, in 2012, we had to take the difficult decision to uh, to cease trading that business. So I had been through the ringer, but I learned a lot, um, both good and bad. So definitely a difficult time, but learned a huge amount. And you know, I was only 30 years of age by the time the uh, the company ceased trading. And I felt at the time, if it was trying to take a positive slant on it, I probably knew more about business than than any 30-year-old in the world at that stage, both good and bad. So it has all helped. Um learned a lot and you know probably learned that any setbacks you can turn into a positive you just got to keep going you have to have resilience and ultimately you'll get there you know uh, that seems to be such a common thread with so many entrepreneurs i've talked to where it's like the 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 amount of entrepreneurs that learn from failure where it's like they have been through either a company that they were involved in maybe not the founders themselves but you know every every kind of every failure they kind of took away and they went okay well how do we kind of come back from this how do we bound back from this i don't think that there's any entrepreneur that i've met whose first idea has been their billion dollar unicorn success you know it's always hey like i was working on something else it didn't work and i learned from that and i've taken those learnings into this next opportunity you know yeah, yeah, for sure. I learned a lot. And you know, even until recently, it's probably not something I talked a lot about. Um, because, you know, in Ireland, with the failure of the business, there's stigma attached with that. Obviously, with the, the family business element, um, that added another element as well. So probably only in recent years, I've started talking about it and, you know, can, can take the positives from it. But it was definitely uh, an experience that left a lot of scars. There's no doubt about that. Um, but it left me in a good place. And, um, you know, as, as you get older, you, you get more perspective and, you know, you'd be well used to the, the U.S. attitude over there, whereby, you know, as you said, you know, failure can be something to add to your CV in a particular business because, you know, you, you have been bitten. You understand the pitfalls um, and, you know, ultimately you probably learn more from, from failure than success. So I think that all ties into 
you know, getting a business off the ground, um, you know, getting the fundamentals right, your cash flow, your accounting, your marketing, HR, management, treatment of people, you know, finance, everything. So, yeah, it all feeds in. So, you know, we're a very small team, but if, if anyone was, you know, to, to seek a role with us and, and they had that kind of experience whereby they had that setback, you know, I, I think it would differentiate them for me um, from other candidates and um, that they have had that experience. So it's all a steep learning curve. Every day is a learning day. Um, no doubt we have setbacks um, ahead of us as well, but we just have to deal with those as best we can and, and keep growing as best we can. Absolutely. And, you know, with that, I'd love to kind of take you back to the first event that you did. Um because obviously, you know, you're you're taking in these learnings, um, you're kind of trying something new. What was that first event like? Um, where was it? Like, what learnings did you take away from that event? The first GamerFest event was in Galway um, in November 2017. So if I take you back even a little bit further, um, how it came about. In 2016, um, my wife was looking to open um, a cafe deli here in Galway. She had a successful catering business herself um, that she had sold previously. And now she was looking to open a deli. So she had actually selected a premises um, in Furbo, which is just probably 10 or 15 minutes out the, uh, the west coast of Galway City. And uh, throughout 2016 and the start of 2017, I was helping her with the business plan, the financials. We had a business loan in place. Uh, we had the premises found. Uh, everything was going according to plan. Uh, we were, you know, about to start fitting out the unit. And at the eleventh hour, then the uh, the landlord just sought to completely change the terms of the lease that we were about to sign, and uh, we just weren't prepared to do it, and we had to shelve it. And while we were making those plans, you know, I was working full time in a marketing role with uh, Supermax here in Ireland. So Supermax would be, you know, the Irish equivalent of, uh, of McDonald's. Uh, so I was working long days in that role and then helping my wife, Claude, in the evenings and weekends to try and get her business off the ground. So when we actually parked that business and said, no, we're not going ahead with this lease, we're just not prepared to do it. I suddenly found I had all this free time in the evenings and weekends. And I'd become so accustomed to trying to get a business off the ground. I just said to myself, well, I'm not just going to stop. I need to find something else that I want to do because I've really enjoyed putting the plans in place um, for this business that didn't go ahead. So ultimately what happened was I was on the lookout for something to do. And there was an event in uh, Dublin in March 2017 called GamerCon. It was the first large scale gaming event um, in Ireland. Really good event in terms of the partners that they attracted and the publicity that they achieved. Unfortunately, what happened was uh, they significantly oversold the event and it was a horrible, cold, wet weekend in March in Dublin and there was hundreds of people that couldn't get into the venue and unfortunately, um, the PR fallout was absolutely massive and uh, it made up the national news headlines for all the wrong reasons. And uh, it, it wasn't able to go ahead thereafter. Obviously, there was a lot of fallout for partners and brands that were involved. So I had no interest or, you know, involvement in gaming at the time. But I saw that event and it occurred to me that, you know, they had sold 15,000 tickets, I believe, for that event. So it was clear that there was a market for it. It was also clear in my mind that going straight to Dublin in the aftermath of that event wouldn't have been a good idea because the fallout was so raw. It would have been difficult to get brands on board as partners. So I took a decision to start GamerFest um, in Galway part-time while I was still in my uh, full-time role. So launched the website and ticket marketing in the summer of uh, 2017. 
as the ticket started to sell and I was generating revenue, reinvested that into more marketing um, and then ultimately ran a small community event over two days, um, ran it on a shoestring budget. I remember clearly that, you know, three weeks before the event, you know, we had a capacity of 2000 people and ticket sales were absolutely nowhere. I think we had two or 300 tickets sold. And I was saying to myself, my God, this thing is going to be tumbleweed. Uh, I was talking to my my uh, my team that were helping me. You know, we were talking about reducing it to one day to try and uh, salvage the situation. But we decided to uh, to stay the course. And what I've learned since is that the, the ticket purchasing patterns in Ireland are last minute. Unfortunately, uh, you know, the week, two weeks before the event, ticket sales took off. And uh, we had a respectable crowd of about 1,500 people at the event. Um, but I remember I was very proud during the event um, got a great buzz from it. People were really enjoying themselves. Uh, we got some good initial partners. I remember we had one gaming publisher that supported us. Uh, we had one gaming equipment brand called Trust Gaming uh, that came on board with a very modest sponsorship. And they're still with us to this day. Um, so, you know, really the, the adrenaline was high over the course of the weekend. I was really proud of what we achieved. I was proud that we stayed the course despite ticket sales looking dismal only, you know, three or four weeks previous. And, you know, off the back of it, the feedback was great. People had a brilliant time. Um, and I thought, OK, let's let's go again. We'll do the same thing again part time. We'll bring it to Limerick this time, uh, which is about an hour and a half away, two hours from Galway. And we ran the next one in, in March 2018 and, and grew the Gamerfest events from there. So it was a really steep learning curve. And as I mentioned, you know, launching Gamerfest in 2017, it really was a crash course in terms of gaming, gaming culture publishers who makes what games you know who can we contact gaming influencers um we had to start everything from scratch but we got there and you know a lot of the relationships that we developed to that very first event um you know they're still really important to us today they've all come with us um so it was really good it was a kind of a milestone event and we've, we've come a long way since then that's amazing to see and i know we talked about you know who is gaming right now but so like what kind of audience did you start seeing at these events i think initially in galway and limerick before we came to dublin um with our flagship event as we developed the event in galway and limerick and developed our credibility and our reputation and you know we needed to demonstrate that a gaming event in ireland could be uh professionally run responsibly run it could be a success um because again i can't emphasize enough and um, just how big a fallout there was from from the GamerCon event. So, for example, if, if you were trying to get into a conversation with, you know, Microsoft Xbox or Sony PlayStation looking for support, you know, and, or any game publisher or, or brand in Ireland, uh, you know, they, they would have reservations um, off the back of what happened with that event. So by developing it regionally, it's something that worked really well for us um, to answer your question in terms of audience, those regional events. They were probably slightly younger um, than our audience now in Dublin. So we would have had a lot of families, um, a lot of teenagers at those events. They're very much community events. Um, Gamerfest still is a community event in, in Dublin, but it's it's obviously scaled a bit since then. Um, and now as, as the event has come to Dublin in terms of audience, you know, we're very much focused on a, a 16 to 18 year old plus audience. Um, our content is geared towards them. Our marketing is geared towards them. Um, so that's it in terms of age profile. Uh, in terms of demographics with GamerFest Dublin now, it's it's really a cross-section um, of all society, Dave, because you know, traditionally there, there would have been this 
cliched stigma view of, of gamers. You know, I think you refer to them as, as basement dwellers, that perception. Um, but obviously, you know, the reality uh, is much, much different. You know, we have gamers at our event that are third level students doing, you know, development or they're doing finance and law. We have young executives, young professionals, uh, teenagers. We have parents dragging their kids to the event because they love gaming themselves. Um, so it really is a cross section of society now, um, which wouldn't have always been the case. But as I said, gaming is so prevalent, it's it's really capturing everyone and it's it's very difficult to define it down to, to one particular niche audience. A quick pause in today's podcast because we want to hear from you, the listener. We are constantly trying to improve the Digital Irish podcast. We want to make it more engaging. We want to make sure that we're bringing in the best guests. We want to hear your feedback, advice, and tips for future speakers and interviewees. So please email us at hello at digitalirish.com if you have any suggestions for the show. Also, if you yourself are an innovator, an entrepreneur, or feel like you have something unique to say, please also reach out to us as well. We'd love to hear your story. That's hello at digitalirish.com. Now back to the interview. You know, you mentioned almost like the, the this growing destigmatization of gaming, you know, that it's not just for basement dwellers, as you said, like, which was you know, I think like a very old school way of looking at it when you think of like what you're saying there about how it's just a huge cross section of society. What, what does this mean for the future of the industry? Is, I mean, you already mentioned that it's, it's, you know, revenue wise, it's bigger than the music industry. It's bigger than the movie industry. Like, are we going to see this continue growing from here or, um, you know, are there, are there other markets that it hasn't tapped into yet? I think we're definitely going to see continued growth and, you know, more and more stakeholders, whether they're partners or whether they're governments or whether they're political parties, and I'm talking specifically here in Ireland, are becoming more aware of the, the scale of gaming um, and the potential that's there. You know, we had a really uh, interesting partnership with On Post Money um, in the last 18 months. So On Post would be the Irish uh, Postal Service. So, you know, as you can imagine, not a brand that you would associate with with gaming and esports, but uh, they came on board as a title partner for one of our uh, esports series. We were absolutely uh, thrilled to get them and they were a pleasure to work with. They were delighted with the partnership. But, you know, something funny that came out of that was, you know, the marketing team in on post when they announced um, their sponsorship of our esports series, they were taken aback by the number of people within the company that came forward and said, you know, I'm actually a gamer myself and we're really excited about this partnership. And, you know, that included people across the company, even up to senior executive level. So, you know, the penny continues to drop for people uh, about the possibilities and the potential for gaming. If you look at it at a more macro level in Ireland, you know, as I mentioned, government now are now looking to gaming. They see the scale of game development opportunities, employment opportunities. Uh, we've just announced a new gaming tax credit for game developers here in Ireland. So a lot like, you know, medical technology companies back in the 1990s or tech companies through the 2000s, I think that the government now are realizing the scale of the, the gaming industry. And I think they're starting to understand that this can be the next big 
um, you know, multinational employment opportunity for Ireland to attract those multinational um, game developer companies um, to the country. We've also had Riot Games, who would be, you know, one of the biggest game publishers in the world. They've just opened a state-of-the-art broadcast centre in Dublin. Uh, they're opening three of those worldwide. That broadcast centre handles the broadcast of all their global esports tournaments. And it was a really big win for Ireland um, to get that infrastructure. So all of these things are happening in the background. We're seeing more and more colleges and universities offer game development and design courses. Um, you know, there's more and more Irish uh, game developers um, setting up. Something we do at GamerFest, for example, we have an indie developer zone. So we invite all Irish um, indie developers, small developers to come to GamerFest and showcase their games um, at no charge. And it's really a win-win because they get to show off their games. They get to get feedback from the, uh, the audience that are there. And, you know, the audience love to play the games because they haven't even been released. They get to give their feedback. And it's, it's a really nice relationship we have with them. And, and that's something we want to um, continue to grow. And I think ultimately what we want GamerFest to be is a platform for the entire gaming space in Ireland, whether you're a game developer, whether you're a content creator, whether you're in esports, whatever the case may be, you know, we want to help grow the whole scene in Ireland. We want to champion all of these sectors and, and uh, employers and um, really give them the platform to drive on the gaming space in Ireland because that helps us, it helps them. And, uh, you know, really the sky is the limit for gaming in Ireland globally. And, you know, in many ways, we're, we're a little bit late to the table in terms of realization of the scale of gaming. And um, we're certainly playing catch up with some other countries, but I think we'll get there. You know, we've got an incredible, talented um, group of young people coming up through college, uh, just like we had for the tech sector. So the sky is the limit as it is for GamerFest. I feel we're just scratching the surface with our event. And I think Ireland is just scratching the surface in terms of gaming. You know, this is something I was thinking about because I've seen major gaming events coming out of Southeast Asia in North America. Like even just recently, there was a sold out Madison Square Garden for uh, an esports e event. You know, you mentioned that you're only scratching, you feel like you're only scratching the surface and that Ireland is, is still building up in this. Could we see something on that scale being led out of Ireland? Could we see like, Ireland becoming the European centre for e-gaming? Well, we absolutely could. And that's something that I dearly want to see happen. And um, there's no reason that it can't. And having said that, you know, Ireland in terms of its adoption of gaming and esports is probably a little bit behind the UK, which is a little bit behind Europe, which is a little bit behind Southeast Asia. So, you know, we do have some catching up to do. But if you take Dublin or Ireland as a, as a destination for global esports events. Um, there's absolutely no reason why we can't attract some of the biggest events out there or put on the biggest events ourselves, which is where we want to get to um, with GamerFest. You know, we've got significant plans in place to scale the event aggressively over the next number of years. We have now started securing those official partnerships with the game publishers that are responsible for those global esports tournaments um, that you mentioned. And, you know, Dublin is such an attractive place to come. Obviously, there's challenges at the moment with accommodation rates, et cetera. Um, hopefully, we'll see some improvement there over the next 24 to, to 36 months. But ultimately, there's absolutely no reason why, you know, Ireland can't become an epicenter for gaming and esports um, in Europe. People love to come here. 
we have the infrastructure, we have the talent. So there's absolutely no reason why it can't happen. And I think with these with these small um, you know moves that the government are making now in terms of tax credits, in terms of support. There's no reason why we can't achieve that. And, you know, we were very chuffed last week. Uh, Gamerfest actually had a mention in the uh, the European Parliament. Uh, Maria Walsh, who's our MEP, uh, was talking about the importance and growth of gaming. She referenced the success of Gamerfest in Dublin um, and, and the growth that we have planned. So it's, it's really good to see, you know, these really senior stakeholders take such an interest in the space. So um, I think there's really, really exciting times ahead for Ireland in particular. That's amazing to hear. You know, as somebody that's worked in the tech sector, uh, you know, usually when you hear your company being named, uh, spoken about in the European Parliament, it's usually a negative thing. Um, so it's actually quite nice to hear it in such a positive light uh, for you. That's uh, that's an incredible, incredible win for you, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, it was definitely a, a nice milestone in the uh, the development of the event. and uh, But I think the most important thing is seeing those politicians taking an interest and becoming aware of the opportunities um, in gaming. That was the most important thing for me. And, um, you know, we're hoping to engage with them, um, you know, showcase our plans for GamerFest, demonstrate how we can, you know, support the development of the gaming sector um, here in Ireland and, um, and hopefully work together on a number of projects because, you know, key to GamerFest, key to anything I do personally is, is collaboration. You know, what can we do? Um, that we can all win out of it and that we can all grow out of it. And I think so many aspects of gaming in Ireland are at the same level. You know, GamerFest is not a huge event with, you know, other small stakeholders and equally game development is not a, a huge space in Ireland just yet um, versus GamerFest. We're all at a reasonably same at the same level. So I think this huge opportunity to work together um, across the board and, and really put Ireland, put Dublin on the map, um, build employment in this space, you know, particularly at the moment with the challenges we've seen um, in terms of tech companies in particular and, and some of the difficult layoffs we've seen, I think, you know, really gaming is, is the next big opportunity uh, for Ireland, um, for employment, for attracting uh, multinational game developers. And most importantly, you know, developing our own indigenous companies within the gaming space as well. That's that's what it's all about. And that's already happening. Don't get me wrong. There's some incredible small um, Irish game developers out there. Some of them are actually scaling quite well and quite nicely, which is absolutely brilliant to see, but uh, loads more potential, um, which is brilliant. That's fantastic to hear. And, you know, one thing that you were mentioning there is like, you know, politicians are starting to see the value and the potential here. Um, earlier on, you actually said something that was quite interesting, that a lot of non-gaming brands are also seeing this potential and also seeing this growth. And as a result, they're also becoming partners in all of this as well. Um, I'd love to understand more here. Like, what, How are non-gaming brands starting to embrace the gaming ecosystem? I think a, a kind of a, a turning point for that really, um, in Ireland certainly, was the the pandemic um, because if you recall traditional sports uh, concerts live events um, were all on hold and suddenly if you were watching sports channels where you would usually watch you know a traditional football match or you'd watch a traditional formula one race suddenly they were showcasing esports as an alternative because really they had nothing else to broadcast so suddenly you had the likes of Lando Norris, um, who was streaming on Twitch, you know, sim racing his Formula One car against other drivers, 
Equally, if you watch Sky Sports News, you would see a, a FIFA tournament whereby players representing Manchester United are competing against players representing Liverpool. So all of a sudden, you know, esports in particular and, and gaming as a whole was suddenly on the radar, um, you know, of these of these multinational brands who might not have looked um, towards that space until then, because if they were looking for sponsorship opportunities, they couldn't sponsor festivals, they couldn't sponsor uh, live sporting events. So they began sponsoring, um, you know, esports events. And that was one of the key reasons um, that we secured on post money for our esports series during the pandemic. And since then, since restrictions have lifted at the start of this year, you know, we've just seen um, huge interest from, from non-gaming brands um, in GamerFest, in our live event offering. Um, we've been really fortunate to have some fantastic partners for our most recent event last month. Um, you know, we had McDonald's on board as our official food partner. Uh, we had Air on board as our official connectivity partner. Um, and LucasAid were uh, our title partner and official energy drink partner. And then we also have, you know, a number of gaming brands um, in the mix as well, which is also brilliant. So we're having more and more conversations with these brands because, you know, they recognize now that, you know, as I said earlier, if you want to reach that younger audience, you have to go where they are and they're gaming, they're involved in esports. Um, so they're looking to that space more and more. And it's been a real sea change from pre-pandemic because I remember quite clearly for the Gamer Fest events, you know, we would have inquiries uh, from a kind of a mainstream uh, B2C multinational consumer brand uh, that would be very excited to get involved with a, with a gaming event. But ultimately what was happening in the background was that discussion would go up the decision-making food chain. And ultimately, if you got to, you know, potentially marketing director level, CEO level, whatever the case may be, they mightn't have had the same uh, excitement for gaming and esports you know, as that person within the organization who had actually contacted us. So oftentimes we would have very exciting, very um, fruitful discussions, ultimately to, to fall at the final hurdle pre-pandemic. But really now those conversations, when they get to that level, since restrictions have lifted, there's a real awareness now that, okay, you know, this, this, is, a, this is a serious space. This is something we need to be involved in. Um, what's the best way to do it? And one of the reasons we've been successful in, in getting brands of this nature involved is that you know we understand that gaming and esports remains a really new space for most brands for most businesses so we work really closely with them in terms of developing a strategy whereby they can engage with the gaming community in a way that's authentic in a way that's genuine um, as i mentioned my own background is, is marketing and sponsorship management so i have been on the other side of the fence um, so that's an approach that's worked really really well for us and uh, i think we're going to see more and more brands um, getting involved if you look at you know esports on a global scale or even a european scale you know it's it's a who's who of brands really you've mercedes-benz you've you've visa you've mastercard um, you've you've every type of brand that you would associate with the biggest traditional sporting events now moving into esports and uh, that's great to see it's happening now in ireland as well so you know that's something we're really excited about you know, you touched on this as you were speaking there, but, you know, one thing that was in the back of my mind as we've been talking is like the impacts that the pandemic had on uh, on the work that you were doing, because obviously gaming has really grown during the pandemic, as, as you mentioned earlier on, as as a way for you know, folks to disconnect, but also to connect with others as well through online gaming. But like with live events being put on hold, 
like how how were you able to pivot to make sure that you kind of can could see this continued growth and continued development of the industry well it was obviously a, a worried worrying time um, like any live event organizer we were absolutely uh, torpedoed uh, we ran our last event um, it was in limerick in march 2020 so you know literally the week of that event um the pandemic situation was was escalating um, we weren't sure whether the event would go ahead or not. You know, cases were skyrocketing. We were looking for guidance off government as to what to do. Um, we got that event over the line successfully. Um, and it was the Wednesday or Thursday after that event that, you know, widespread restrictions kicked in and there was no more live events allowed. So we were fortunate to get that over the line, but, you know, realized pretty quickly that the pandemic was going to be, a long-term issue and we needed to look at other opportunities other revenue streams um, for the business so we did a couple of things the first thing was we created a brand called uh, gamerstore.ie so we had a relationship with a number of the gaming equipment manufacturers so you know whether that was gaming monitors gaming keyboards mice etc and we had discussions before the pandemic about you know maybe selling some of that equipment on our gamerfest website um, with the live events it's something that we didn't um, we didn't pursue in the end but when the pandemic hit uh, we saw an opportunity to launch this new gamer store brand specifically um, to sell gaming equipment to the Irish gaming community we had the contacts um, you know we had the skills um, in-house to develop the e-commerce site to market it develop uh, a marketing strategy around it and uh, with the popularity of gaming during the pandemic, it was a business that, uh, you know, grew really quickly for us and um, went really well. It's, it's a business we're still involved in and it's continuing to grow. So that's been really good for us. Um, and as I mentioned, we also launched an online esports series during the pandemic, um, which allowed us to stay engaged uh, with our community, to run online tournaments. And really one of the main reasons we launched that was to have Gamer Store as the main partner of those tournaments. So the tournaments initially were a marketing tool for our Gamer Store brand. What we realized pretty quickly then um, during the pandemic was A, the volume of people um, that got involved in the online tournaments. So we had about 4,000 people uh, participating. And then B, the interest from brands to actually come on board um, in a sponsorship capacity. So we secured on Post Money as title partner, we had secured uh, Virgin Media at the time as our um, official broadband partner. So that in itself became a business. So we were fortunate um, during the pandemic in, in many ways that we identified those businesses. Um, they sustained us through a very, very difficult time. Um, you know, and then obviously always trying to anticipate when restrictions might be lifted for the live events because you need that lead time, you need that runway to get the events uh, off the ground again after such a long break so it was a really difficult period but we managed to navigate it and you know ultimately it's all come back around again so for example if you were at our GamerFest event uh, last month in Dublin you would have seen a significant uh, gamer store retail stand at the event so there's great synergies there and um, we made a lot of great contacts from our online esports series during the pandemic that we've been able to leverage uh, with the live events and uh, we've been able to run online tournaments in association with the live event. So there's lots of cross-marketing opportunities there that we've been able to avail of. And um, so we certainly didn't sit on our hands 
Um, but you know, suffice to say, a, a really difficult time, but relieved we got through it. Oh, of course. Well, it's a it's amazing to hear like how you were able to pivot there and and kind of uh, very quickly kind of still identified how you know you could connect with your audience and saw that there was still a, you know a, a need there that um, could be fulfilled with the with the network that you had developed for yourself. Amazing to hear, and like you know thinking about then where we are today because obviously um you know people are talking about how we live in a hybrid world now where people are both at, still at home but also they want to go out and they want to connect with people again this feels like almost like an ideal opportunity for gaming events to continue growing because it's like yes you can game at home but you can also participate in these larger scale events you can participate in um, these conferences and you can see and interact with others and then you know also go back to the to the security of your own home it it does feel like that you know we're at a almost like this inflection point for the the kind of events and the kind of activity that you're you guys are working on yeah for sure i think there's there's a couple of different levels to that point i think first and foremost as you mentioned you know gamer fest offers gamers an opportunity to to come together in a real life event if you can imagine all the great relationships and friendships that develop online uh through gaming and then you know they get to meet up at a live event the the atmosphere is just electric because you know we see people meeting each other uh on the floor of the event and it's just like massive hugs excitement um the vibe is just absolutely amazing and uh, it's it's brilliant to see. So very much to your point, you have this online community, um, but GamerFest offers them an opportunity to, to come together um, in a real life environment. Equally, in terms of a hybrid type event, you know, a lot of the learnings that we had from our online esports series, we've now kind of connected that into GamerFest. So at the GamerFest event, for example, we had our live esports finals um, on our live stage, which, which were absolutely fantastic. But ahead of the event, then we ran online qualifiers over the course of about two months to identify our finalists for GamerFest. But equally, those online qualifiers were acting as a marketing tool for the event, all leading to GamerFest, um, all climaxing at GamerFest as well. So that's been really good. And then the third point I'd make is, you know, while the live event is on, how do you bring that to people um, that can't make it physically? So for the first time this year, we, we live streamed the event um, from the venue. So we live streamed on Friday. So that's something that worked really well for us. We had 16,000 viewers um, of that live stream. But really, at the moment, it was just special guests. It was discussion. It was panels um, with the event in the background. And we were really happy with that. But we're already asking ourselves if we're going to be live streaming in future or if we're going to be making a hybrid virtual model um, of this event. What can we do to make it more engaging so that people are not just watching the live stream from the event? How do we incorporate gaming or challenges or how do we make people feel more involved? Um, you know, and that will allow us grow, you know, international markets as well. If people can't make it to Dublin, they can still participate online. So we're still teasing that out. But you're absolutely right. You know, this whole live event hybrid model, a um, lot of potential there for GamerFest. We just need to navigate that now um, over the next number of months and, and make sure we do it in a way that delivers value. Amazing to hear. And, you know, thinking about, uh, you know, our audience that are listening to this, you know, there's, you know, you've really spoken about 
the potential growth, like the continued growth, I should say, of gaming. Where can our audience learn more about the work that you're doing in particular? I think probably the best place to look is, is our website, which is uh, gamerfest.ie, um, also via LinkedIn. Um, I would post occasional updates um, around the event, around our partnerships, um, et cetera. Um, so they, they would be the main areas. And obviously within, within Dublin, uh, within Ireland, we, we look to, uh, to networking events within the gaming space. Uh, we try to visit other events um, internationally, whether that's the UK, whether that's Europe. We'd love to get to the States sometime next year. Um, there's a couple of big events um, over there as well. So you're always learning, um, but we're always really happy um, to connect Dave, with, with anyone that's interested in the space or even anyone that wants to learn a little bit more. And if, if we can act as a guide, give some pointers to people that are looking at, you know, potentially activating within gaming or, you know, even if it's unrelated to live events, whatever the case may be, uh, we're always happy to talk. So we're always here. Amazing stuff. And then, you know, is there anything that the digital Irish audience could help you out with? I think for the next um, number of years, we're on a pretty good um, organic trajectory in terms of the growth of, of GamerFest. But one thing we are doing at the moment is exploring investment and strategic partnership opportunities with other companies, uh, with investors that will allow us to scale the event that bit quicker. Uh, we've got a lot of momentum at the moment and we really want to capitalize on that. So we're hoping to, you know, have more of those conversations, potentially secure funding in the, the first half of next year. So I guess anyone that's interested in the gaming space, interested in, in scaling a, a Dublin gaming event, um, we'd be delighted to talk with them. Um, it's an area we're putting um, quite a bit of focus on over the next number of months. Um, so certainly that would be one area, Dave, that we'd, we'd be happy to, to talk to your audience about. Amazing stuff. Well, Stuart, firstly, I can't thank you enough uh, for joining us today. I know how busy you are, so it's been fantastic to talk. And uh, secondly, just best of luck with everything. Um, hopefully you'll have a few folks from our network reach out to you soon enough. Certainly. And it was an absolute pleasure. Our next event is uh, in May in Dublin. So uh, if anyone is knocking around at that time, please do contact us. We can organize some uh, some complimentary tickets. We'd, we'd love to have them along. Amazing stuff. Great to hear. Uh, I love that. I'll definitely, uh, I'm definitely due a trip back at some point. So maybe I should uh, put May down in the calendar for myself. Um, Stuart, thank you so much again. Thanks so much, Dave. Really enjoyed it. And that is it for today's episode. Thank you so much again to Stuart Dempsey for joining. Uh, let's hear a quick snippet of the next episode. And I find VR as a, a youth working tool to kind of engage with young people who are disconnected in many ways from school and other services. I find having a VR in the youth space just to say, hey, do you want to drop in for half an hour and go on VR? Like, lots of young people were, were knocking on the door and it was, it was a really great tool to make that connection with them. This podcast is brought to you by the Digital Irish Network. To find out more about the Digital Irish Network, check out www.digitalirish.com. On the website, you'll also find out more information about networking, events, news, and much, much more, all with a little bit of an Irish flair.